Hello and welcome to the podcast, the In Key Podcast, with James and guest. I'm the guest, Elijah, from the band Father Before Me. And today we're going to be talking about three things as per usual. We got the riffs from the 80s, 2000s to the 2020s, 1K subscribers, What is that enough to retire on, and the pains of working on your own as a band versus what you might pay for, what you might delegate, and anything in between there. Cool. Let's get into riffs. I don't know the exact first riff that I learned, but it was definitely something in the realm of a 70s or 80s riff where it had one of those, you know. Almost shuffleish. And then when I finally made my own, I was like, oh, this is easy. This is so much fun and, you know, doing this. But And then as I heard 2000s riffs, it was a little bit more power metal-y, a little bit more groove metal-y, this kind of thing. And now you've either got stuff that's, you know, either the most extremes of what has come in the past or stuff that's exactly like the past or stuff that's completely out there different or where it's industrial, where it's like uh, the guitar is completely in a different EQ space, but it still has the similar riffs from the past. So I like your opinion on what makes you write the riffs that you're writing now. And what do you think the future holds for for riffs, you know, especially since it's not as popular as it used to be. Oh, now we're the rebels yeah. again. So how do we be the <clears throat> well, best? It's rebels? interesting because um, we got you got to look at the history of the riff, and um, you know back in the day, like you know, I, I would say eighties, maybe up to eighties, the riffs were mainly just about you know something catchy, something like very made you want to fly. Like the riffs of the eighties and seventies were things that kind of like you know you think of like you know Thin Lizzy or or, or Iron Maiden or um, even Boston. These riffs made you want to like. Like, you just were floating and flying and soaring. And then the 90s started... I noticed this happened with metal a lot. Like, a lot of these new metal bands and, like, metalcore bands, they started borrowing... They started borrowing riffs from um, European metal bands, like In Flames, At The Gates. And, like, they weren't as heavy as these bands, so, you know, it's part of why they, they got, they got you know, crapped on so much. But I, I noticed it was that... You know, like open, kind of like almost master of puppetsy, kind of. Um, and then the riff mm-hmm. kind of evolved into like the groovier, kind of like the 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 gent kind of kind of thing. And you know, so it's it's definitely evolved a lot. It's definitely become more rhythmic now. Um, some people are still playing the sorry riffs. And when I write a riff, I mean, the first riff that I ever learned was "Damn It" by Blink One Eighty Two. And regardless of what genre of music you're into, that's a very catchy riff. It gets stuck in your head, you know. It, it's it's got it's got you know the two few notes in the beginning that change, but then the last is kind of the same. And I feel like you know you need like riffs should be almost secular, where like they 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 revolve and and they they come full circle, um, while having little small intricacies to keep the listener kind of on their seat. Um, some people like to go crazy and they, they're doing all this crazy stuff. And it's like, you know, I'm not saying that you can't be crazy and be catchy. Cause I mean, what's the craziest, the craziest riff I, I could think of that's super catchy. And as soon as I say it, you're going to hum it in your head. Mm-hmm. Fly to the bumblebee. Oh yeah. Probably the catchiest, like crazy, like little thing or like, you know, Paganini used to, you know, the, the, the caprices and stuff like those are all really complex riffs, but they're, they're catchy. And they're, they're, they kind of grab your attention. And I guess a lot of people, um, they forget that. Like, you need to forget that your riff needs to be somewhat, like, not singable, 
but memorable in that sense where it can't be just like some like like you could have some like guy that. would have disagreed right there He's yeah like, that's, like no nah, man think about it's the notes right, He's well, you not just playing. There, that's perfect i can sing that right now and yeah. tomorrow and next week <laughs> yeah it's, we're gonna be on tiktok by the next week <laughs> um no but like again, again at the end of the day at the end of the at the end of the day Music is subjective. I don't care what anyone says who says this is the best guitar player, this is the best guitar player, this is yeah, the best yeah. riff. It's all subjective. And, you know, and the, the masses are asses. So, like, you know, the majority of people are going to say one thing, and, and that's cool. Like, cool, cool, good for you, you know? But, I mean, you know, it, talking my personal experience and my, my opinion, you know, um, you know, I think a riff should be, you know, equal parts complicated and catchy, you know, but also enough that, like, you know, it's not a guitar solo. It's a riff. You know, it should be, right, you know, right. like even Dragon Force, Through the Fire and the Flames, one of the most technically guitar-driven songs in the entire history of our existence. The main riff is still very simple. It's yep, still very simple. Like, they're playing it really fast and stuff, but it's still it's still just those like two notes each riff. Like, it's still very like you could sing that. You know what I mean? Exactly. And like, oh, yeah. yeah, they have the fill at the end and stuff, but it's still like even some of the most like Herman Lee, one of the most technical guitar players on the planet right now, you know, fast and dexterous. Um, he he's he's it's a simple riff. You know, it's it's the solos that are hard. Yeah, yeah, and it's. One of the things I've always uh, broken it down to is effects and statements. Statements, you can sing. Effects are like the Eddie Van Halen tapping thing. Where yeah. It has like some kind of melodic feel to it. You you can place it like, oh, it's that thing, um, and, it, and it can move, but it's not really singable. So it's kind of a, a morph of those things. And and it's funny. Yeah, like, that's exa- I like the answer that you gave. It should have a little bit of taste, but it shouldn't be so much that it's all about the technical and shouldn't be yeah. so much <clears throat> that it's – you know, completely turned into something you know, that you can't even remember after you've heard it. Mm. So, uh, yeah, because I messaged you originally, or I added you on Instagram because I heard a riff. I'm like, that's that's really good. I really like that riff. I want to hear more of riffs like that. <laughs> and I wish I could tell you which one it was. I just remember. I think I know which it. one. It was a, it was a guitar harmony, right? I don't. I, I, will you'll send it to me? I'll and send I you a confirm. couple. I'll send yeah, you a yeah. couple. But I really enjoyed that. And that's that's what really made me remember you. And then I met you uh, in person at a show just by accident. And yeah, you got me totally. in. I had yeah. no money or anything, and you you helped me out. So yeah. that was huge. But uh, I 100% agree with what you just said. And I think the uh, the thing that I'd like to hear more about is what do you think the future holds as far as like how do people operate as uh, the rebels? Because we only had a small period where it was just oh guitar, it's not popular and it's not really a thing. You know, it's like all of a sudden you you had Tony Iommi add some distortion and then it's like oh this is not a good thing. And then it was a good thing for like yeah. fifty years. And now people are like, wait, it's not it's not good enough to just have distortion on the guitar anymore. I like, no. wait. What do you mean? Nope, nope. It's actually it never really opposite. was. People yeah. are losing the distortion <laughs> now. Right. People are losing. So it's like, how do we uh, make it rebellious again? How do we get the emotion back? You because well, it was a sound that changed everything, and now it's like it was the sound that changed everything. So how do we, you know, bring it back? So please give us all the answer right now. <laughs> Here are all the answers you're ever going to need for life. Okay, you're going to need a four hundred one k, and then you're yeah, going to yeah. take it out after ten years. No, um, no. So um. Then you buy everyone that has ever made a riff, delete it, and just start over. Just and then start you over. Profit. It's like that episode of Metalocalypse um, where they're <laughs> sitting underground and he's just like, oh no, please don't. Please don't. And then like Nathan just deletes. And it's delete like, that all, was the hundredth take. Yeah. So the thing with, I think the thing that people miss on a lot of these, these, these things is that these people were just doing what they thought was right. And I think as long as, 
I, I, I think if you have to fake your way into it and like, oh, I got to make it like this, I feel no matter what, people are going to see through that and see it's not genuine. And, you know, with Tony Iommi, I mean, he was just trying to make riffs he thought sounded cool. He didn't care what any, he didn't care what the Beatles were doing. He didn't care what Led Zeppelin was doing or he didn't care. 100% what, true. You know, and the same, the same goes for like Blink-182. Like they didn't care that they weren't punk or they weren't like whatever people thought they were. They were like, nah, dude, we just want to write riffs that like make us dream again. And and I, I feel that's really what it's about. If you write a riff that really speaks to you, like I feel it's going to speak to others because you're writing something that connects to a human. You're not just writing a riff. You're like, yeah, so this riff, it's a, it's just one giant fucking arpeggio. It's like, sure, but what about it? Like, for instance, um, one of one of my songs. I'm going like, to start saying that. What Dude, what about it? What about, what about it? it? What about already... it, bro? What does it do for you? <laughs> what it do? What about it? What it do? Um, but I have a riff that that started as an exercise, and it's just like a it, it's it's funny. I said giant arpeggio because it starts as a giant like six string sweep G arpeggio, and it goes down to the octave of it as a five string sweep. But then that's where it changes. So it doesn't start it from like the the top string to the the, the, the highest string. It starts in the middle, goes down, comes up, goes down one more time, hits the octave, and then it starts changing um, chords. And the chords were the chord that was what spoke to me. It wasn't so much like I'm playing this very complicated sweep riff. It's that it was almost Disney or like orchestra, like orchestra music in a way. Like, um, and the big inspiration behind that was the way Jason Becker used to play. Was he he used to do these big sweep runs, but they were magical. It was like he was playing on a harp. And it was just, that's that's what I thought of. I was like, yeah, I want to do a sweepy riff. I want it to be technical and like people are like, whoa, this is cool. But I didn't want that to just be the main focus of it. That's like the icing on the cake. What I really wanted was this, this, this melody that gets through it and the chords that I changed to kind of like bring you through it. And that was like the feeling I got when I played it to the point where it was just a riff I practiced. And eventually I was like, I need to make this something. And, and you know, it's... It's one of my favorite songs I've ever written. One of my favorite riffs I've ever written. When we're talking about riffs, and it's, it's kind of like the equal bit of like complicated but still groovy and like. What's the name of the song? It's called "Until Lambs Become Lions." It's like the riff that just it punches you right in the face right when it starts. Sick. Well, speaking of, did you get more subscribers when you released that riff? You know what? You know, I, I just I just brought you on here for answers. I just want yeah. what riff gets me followers and money. So it's weird, man. Like it's it's like. It's, You're like first go listen to the song. First go listen to the song. No, it's it's been a it's been a it's been an uphill battle the whole way, and every little bit gets you a little bit further. Every time I release a new song, it gets a little more traction. Uh, I'd be lying if I said ads didn't help. Um, nice. Because let me tell you, man, ads help. You know they do help. Um, but anyway, we're not we're not. This is not a social media ad campaign. Yeah, no interview. way. Nope. But um, no, like I I wrote that song and I put it out and and you know that was that was. That's kind of the song I, f- I personally feel where, like, I'm not going to be like, yeah, my career took off. But it was like, no, like, it was where I believe in plateaus. I believe, like, you climb, you climb, you climb, and you reach a certain plateau where, like, you're not going to drop below that no matter what. You could be at the – it could be a very low plateau, but it's still you're not going to go below that. And I feel that song was, like, a next-level kind of um, plateau for me where, it like – it's solidified like okay i'm at this level and it's it's if it plateaus that's fine but it's like that's where it's going to stay it nice. can only go up from there it's not going to go down and i feel like when you when you and it's it's not even about like the riff it's just like when you as a creator when you release things um 
they reach a certain amount of ears and a certain amount of people resonate with those songs the same way as if you found a band for the first time and they're like dude this song is awesome like you know there there's 6 7 billion people in the world and it's like there's got to be a handful of people mm-hmm. who are like yeah this is my favorite song even if it's the worst song objectively in the world like someone loves that song more than they love their own parents like or their own children like you know it's it's oh goodness you no know, it's true <laughs> though like everyone and I feel sometimes you need a second and you just need to listen to that that one yeah song. you know it it's like true. gives you life and it's like it's also um it's it's um it's circumstantial too because it's like where were you when you heard the riff what were you doing when you heard the riff like that's why i think the memorability of the riff memorability if that's a word um (laughs) for me for it is now it is now we just (laughs) webster anyway um no but like it it really depends like that's that's what you know that's i guess that's why like a band like blink Wayne 2 is so successful too um because their riffs brought people back to a simpler time in their their childhood or their teenage years or like you know that, that that's what music does it brings emotion out it's a it's a storytelling device it's a time traveling machine that takes you to so a place in time that you can you by hearing it you you see it and it's like that's why the riff is so important you know cuz it you need to be creating an emotion with your riff and if you're not creating an emotion with your riff based off your own emotions, then you're just making dry, like, oh, this is cool. Listen to this. It's fucking, you know, you know, like, yeah, you can cool. It's heavy, dude. It's heavy, dude. It's got like seven sevenths in it. And it's like, no, it's cool. And it's on a seventh string. It's on a seventh uh, string. We're playing an A minor seventh, flattened seventh, sharp seventh, like. With a nine. Just sevens flat. all over. Yeah, no, like, it's like, you know. <laughs> It, it like you can do shit like that and that you know that that stuff in between is is the it's emotion all about of that it. balance no yeah balance and just knowing like knowing the rules to break the rules kind of thing but at the same time like you're conveying emotion when you when someone listens to a song and i think when you can do that the riff becomes more powerful so how long until you hit the big 1k and you just it's over then man you just yeah from that set no so it's it's weird man youtube's weird um uh they, they say at 1k you can start monetizing your videos but I'm technically monetizing my videos already because distribution company takes a cut of any time your music makes money for somebody because they're using the money. It's it's a complicated thing, but I've been making money off YouTube content ID sales, but it's more of just a milestone. You know, like my first two years of this project, you know, this project started at the tail end of 2019, put out one single and put out, was about to put out a second single and then fucking COVID hit. And, but, um, yeah, no, it was a, it was a tough grind. I think, I actually, it was this last year I started getting really serious with social media and I can pull up the picture right now. I did a before, I did a before because I wanted to see how far I got with this. I wanted to see like, regardless of the comparison, I wanted to see, we're going back to January of God knows when, January or February of last year. Okay. Um, Yes. So February so this is January twenty seventh of twenty twenty three. Oh, twenty three. Yeah. Okay. This year. Yeah. So it took me. It took me like three years to get four hundred subscribers, right? Oh, oh of twenty twenty then. 2020. No, no, twenty twenty three. So January twenty seventh of two thousand and twenty three. I took a screenshot of my YouTube and I had 403 subscribers. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. So since twenty twenty, I got four hundred. So roughly like a hundred a year. So I'm currently, I busted my ass this year posting shorts and just doing all this. And let me see. Sorry. I'm like 
Well, they, yeah, I mean, like everyone says, it's all about how you know how consistent are you, yeah. and like you know how. Uh, you know, are engaging are you and how positive are you and like, you know, what's driving you and it's and without something you're really into, you're gonna fall pretty quickly. Oh, to, for sure. Well, I don't really like doing this. It's for not sure. Worth it, you know. Um but yeah, I mean I like nearly doubled in what I like what took me three years to do, like I did in one year this year because of just like I was like, all right, cool. Like and it, part of that is a snowball effect and part of that is hard work. Um I won't owe it all to like, yeah, we're kids. If you work hard, you'll, you'll, you'll get into it. You know, just that first single, if you work real hard, you'll get a thousand subs. It's more just like, you're kind of like putting these songs out and it's slowly starting to snowball. It's like one song gets 10 people interested. And then that second song, all of a sudden now 20 people are interested. And then that third song, now a hundred people are interested and it, it kind of just goes and snowballs, but also hard work behind it too, like promoting and, and advertising and making content. Um, so you know, it, it, it it's a balance. You need a balance, man. Mr. Miyagi was it's ten right. months. That's ten months. That's a good amount of uh, followers and, and like change at ten months versus three years. So I'm interested to see what happens the next yeah two months yeah three no, months. Yeah. It also helps when you when you release new music during then because I didn't I, the last time I re, the first time I released new so September of 20, 2023, I released some a new song. And then the, the last time before that I released a new song was the end of 2021. So it almost was two uh, okay. years. So that's a little bit. So like that shows like the, if the more you release music, you know, that's why singles are so important. Like you can still yeah. do albums. You can most certainly still do albums, but release them as singles first. Yeah. You have like a drip campaign. And yeah. Then and then up being an album. And then you could do this on Spotify where you release it as a single and then you can combine and connect those singles to the album that will be released. And then yep. people will go and listen to the album. And they'll be like, "Hey, there's like two or three songs we didn't hear because they weren't singles. Let's go listen to them." It yeah, kind of yeah. you, you you slowly feed people. It's like you know, no one can eat a seven course meal in like a, in like one sitting. You need the whole dinner to do it. You know, you start small. You can't just bring all the food out in one sitting and be like, "Here, eat." You know, unless uh, unless you're just like, you know what, I got a day. I'm just gonna eat and listen to my favorite band. And yeah. That's it. But that's that's more of the rare occurrence. So um, now you work a hundred percent on your. You do your drums. You do the singing. You do what don't you do? Is what I should ask. Um, so technically, what I do not do is I do not perform the, all the parts live. Mm-hmm. I mainly I do hire musicians when we play live, and I resort to the lead singer, lead guitar player role, and then I don't mix and master my recordings i actually go to a studio and i perform all the stuff there and they track it they mix it they master it uh i do give mix notes so i do have a producer credit on it i guess and you know um like hey i think we should do this oh i think we should do that i'd write this a little higher um and then videographer i don't have a videographer or a video editor i actually hire someone to do that for the music videos um, I do direct them and come up with the storyboard and most of the ideas and kind of like the angle for the shot. Like, hey, this is the shot I want. Um, <clears throat> with I, mean, I do take input from the videographers themselves. Um, but other than that, like, I do everything. I, I write all the music. I produce all the, the, the content. Like, the, only, the thing I do video, do edit and do video editing is my content. But music videos, I don't. So I record all my videos and content and behind the scenes stuff and you know i i and and all my artwork i don't do my artwork but i did give the guy like hey this is what i want this is exactly what i want this is how i want it and i'll you know so other than that yeah like i I record all the music i write all the music i manage the band i book the band um 
Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, man. But uh, see, I think that's interesting because so many people I know, especially if they also play the drums, the bass, the guitar, they're doing the singing, the writing, and that sort of thing. They're like, oh, I also do my, my own mixing and mastering. But you're I, saying you're you're throwing that out to someone else, and I, and I think that's really cool. You know, I think it's really say it's like it's something you don't have to worry. You know, it's more about you're staying focused on the sound of it versus <laughs> the technical sound. Like, oh, this kick doesn't sound. Maybe I yeah. do a kick that sounds like this album that I like and build it from there. Or, I mean, you know, yeah. Thing. No, like I mean, I choose the guitar tones and I choose like the symbols I use and tones wise. I, I pick my tones and like I'll give them an idea of like, hey. But sometimes it's. I don't think the same person who mixes your record should master your record too. Well, not not so much that, but that that's a, that's a harsh rule. I, I I think you should have multiple ears producing your song. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. that's why I go out. I actually work with two engineers, so they are bouncing ears back and forth. So they do mix and master it. So they are two separate sets of ears doing this one um, project, and then I'm the third set of ears that's like, hey. So I feel like we have, you know, three ideas behind it. And, you know, sometimes you need to give your ears a rest. If I'm recording, like I do post-production, I do pre-production here in my room, but I don't really use any of it on the record. Maybe it was a scratch track, just a reference track. But um, no, you, you definitely should. And then same with the videographer, too, and the artist. Sometimes it's nice to just not do everything yourself in a way. Maybe, yeah, you have the vision and you have the idea and you do have the final say. But it is nice to have these, you know, because... No one does anything by themselves, truly. You know, <clears throat> even if I was, I'm not making my own guitars. I'm not wiring. I'm not wiring my own pickups and shit. So it's kind of just like, well, at what point are you really a DIY 100%? So at that point, I'm just like, okay, well, here are the things I'm not good at. Let me hire someone who is good at it. You know. So this is that part of the show where I like to give my guests the spotlight, the time to talk about something they're promoting. So Elijah, what are you promoting today? What do you got for us? So on January 5th, we have a new single coming out called Hellgate Lottery with an accompanying music video. This is um, coinciding with our Sapphire EP that's coming out February 3rd, and we're doing a release show in Brooklyn at the Kingsland. Hopefully we get a lot of viewers going out there to see you play. Yeah. Maybe, I think something you could do on your own is you could definitely get a good uh, plug-in for reverb or room sound and just do the acoustic guitar and sing, you know, like... Mm -hmm with a little EQ, a little bit of A being, you should be able to get that good enough that you can enjoy uh, just two tracks <laughs> yeah. working between a guitar and vocals and maybe oh, add yeah. some harmonies and maybe a second guitar part. Yeah, for like an acoustic vocal. cover or something. I eventually like, <clears throat> you know, I would like to be able to do certain things like that. Um, but I mean, it, there, there's something very special about the, the producers that I work with and, and like it's the vibe of when I go there. It's, <clears throat> you know, I live in the tri-state area and they are out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. So it's about a three hour drive out there and they have like these facilities on site. It's like a giant campus and I go out and live there for the week. Yeah. And all I yeah, do yeah. is live, breathe and eat recording the music. And I don't have to think about like, oh man, like why isn't like input one and two giving me this? It's like, no, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're going to worry about that. I'm just there to record. So it, it's nice. It's very, it's like I'm going away to a day spa to like record. So <laughs> That's awesome. I, you know, I think that music is in an interesting spot now, and it's really cool to hear someone that's like, yeah, they're not questioning themselves for every little thing. You're very sure about it without it being uh, contrived or you know, like overly um, uh, uh, focused to the point that it's a stressful thing. You yeah, know, you really seem to be enjoying yourself. The music's coming along. You know, it's just 
who knows what the future is going to hold. So it's, it, I'm excited to watch, and I think anybody else is cheering you on. And Thanks, I can't man. believe it. Whether you've got a short that has you know a lot of attention or a little, you, <clears throat> you bring the A game, and it comes from a really good place. I, I think that's awesome. And Thanks, I'm, man. I'm really happy that you came on. Thank you, and, for, thank uh, you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, this. Ma- this awesome. maybe the next one is going to be you know an even bigger podcast. So this is the next goal. you got to put this out here and be like, Oh man, I'm I'm feeling another podcast, but only if it has at least a thousand subscribers like me next week. <laughs> Being your, your new standard. That's another thing that I feel a lot of bands and musicians are scared to do. Like ask, like yeah, th- oh totally. There's a hundred percent. Yeah, you. like you have to ask, dude. This in the YouTube world, like you have to ask to like and subscribe. It's not, it's not like we don't trust you to do it. It's that when you're when you when you hear it. People are like, oh, okay, cool. I'll do this. I made a post the other day, and I guess this is why you 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 saw it. You know, you saw the post. It was like, hey, we're like two hundred and sixty something away subs to a thousand, and like I got fifteen that day. You know, fifteen, like, dude, that's you know, like, who knows how many more I'll get? I'm not expecting to get a thousand by Christmas, but hopefully by the release show I would get a thousand. Maybe I don't know. It doesn't matter. Like, I set these little goals for myself because like. Everyone's just like, what do you want to do? I want to be a professional musician. It's like, well, okay. Too broad. Way too broad. You, yeah. Okay, well, okay, what do you mean you want to be a professional musician? Like, oh, I want to be a successful musician. It's just like, okay, well, you got to have small goals. If you don't have little... Put that in your LinkedIn. Put your LinkedIn. Yeah, done it. I just want big goods. I, I, I want, I'm the best. <laughs> I am the best. No, you have to have these small goals. And for me, it was just like, okay, what? Okay, I, I want to release an EP. Okay, now I want to release three EPs. Okay, well, now I want to, you know, get this many subscribers, you know, okay, well, okay, let's start small. So like my first goal was just just to get the first hundred so I can have the display name because after a hundred, you can finally put YouTube.com slash whatever. Okay. And then the second one was like, okay, let me, let me just get to a that. Let me get to 500. And when I got to 500, I was like super happy. I was like, yay, 500. And then, you know, thousand. And then from there, I think the next would be like 2,500, like very small steps, you know, very small goals. And, um, you know, you, you, you realize that the, you set these little goals for yourself and they're like these little building blocks to this giant Lego set. And it, it, it works, you know, instead of being like, yeah, I want to, I want to make a thousand dollars a week off of music. It's like, well, why don't you start with like, why don't you start with like a hundred dollars a week? You know, there you go. and then, exactly. you know, if it's a very easy thing to do, then you, you'll get there. No problem. And then boom, next thing is like, okay, now I want to make, you know, 500 a month, you know what I mean? And then a thousand a month, you know, and it just, it, it, it has to, you gotta start very, like, you gotta do it in steps, man. Well, that was fun. I think that's our time for now. Did you have fun, Elijah? Oh, dude, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Excellent. So. Uh, As far as everyone listening, I'll see you the next time I have another guest. So, uh, bye.